And what a, a, a great thing it is tonight to know that faithful God as our own Savior and Lord. What a great thing it is that we worship a God who's faithful in every way. So thank you, uh, musicians, for singing for us, and thank you for picking those hymns that have been so appropriate for this evening's talk on the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. Let us read a few verses uh, that relate to the time when Jesus uh, attended the Feast of Tabernacles and he taught during it. And we shall see tonight that uh, some of the uh, ways in which the feast was celebrated changed over the years. And during the time of Jesus, they had some very special ways of celebrating it. We're looking at John chapter 7, first of all. John chapter 7, and we'll read a few verses from verse 37, and then over to chapter 8, commencing at verse 12. Let us hear uh, the, the word of the Lord from the Gospel of John, chapter 7, commencing at verse 37, which refers to the last day, the great day of the feast. And the feast that's being referred to is the one that we are dealing with tonight. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. So John chapter 7, commencing our reading at verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried aloud, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And then chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus is still teaching in the same festival. Verse 12 of chapter 8 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from, and you do not know where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness to me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Amen. 
we, we will return to these scriptures uh, later on in the service. So first of all, let's have a, a reminder of what we've been doing during the last few weeks. You've been having a, a series of the various festivals in Israel. And these were uh, festivals that were instituted a long time ago. They were holidays in the proper sense of holy days, which is where the word comes from. And these festivals that you've looked at through the Passover and trumpets and atonement and now tabernacles, they, 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 they were organized a long time ago. And people might feel that. Well, they're not really significant for today. But, you know, the Bible from beginning to end has got truths that are just as relevant today as they were when these things were first set up. Because God doesn't change. And the truth that he gave through these festivals is indeed very helpful and relevant for us today, as we hopefully will see this evening. Uh, The purpose of the... uh, feasts such as tabernacles, uh, they, they were given to Israel to celebrate their relationship with God and to give him thanks for his continued blessing. The Feast of Tabernacles was on the 15th day of the seventh month in the Jewish calendar. It, it falls on different dates actually in our calendar, but usually sometime in September or October. In other words, at the end of the harvest you get the Feast of Tabernacles occurring even in Israel today. Uh, In the time of the temple in Jerusalem, uh, when Jesus lived, the temple was still in existence, and at that time, uh, the Tabernacles was one of three great annual festivals during which uh, Jews were expected to attend the temple in Jerusalem. And... uh, If you've ever travelled to Jerusalem, you probably have approached it in a bus or car. And you'll have noticed one thing. Wherever you are, you always go up to Jerusalem. It's always right up there in the height. And when you... uh, If you come down the Jordan Valley, as many people would do, and you look up towards Jerusalem, the first thing you can see in the distance is three towers that tell you that way up there somewhere, Jerusalem exists. And so people in those days didn't have coaches or cars, of course, and they had to walk. And as they walked, they would meet in communities and they would sing psalms. Uh, about the, the, the wonderful city they were going towards. And these psalms are in the Bible called Psalms of Ascent, uh, or Songs of Ascent. In other words, Songs of Going Up, because that's how you had to get to Jerusalem. There was no other way. You had to go up, up, up. And uh, one of these psalms, for example, uh, is Psalm 125 was one of the psalms that they would sing. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest in the land. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. And so as people climbed up to Jerusalem, they had songs to sing about the wonderful blessing they would receive there and that the God who, who surrounded them 
protected them just like the mountains protected the ancient city of Jerusalem and indeed uh, can be seen to this day. So the uh, festivals uh, all uh, really related to things that God had done. They were about thanksgiving for the past and the Feast of Tabernacles was no different. When they dwelt in these uh, flimsy uh, buildings, they were to remember that God had brought them through the wilderness. They were to remember what they'd come from, basically. They were never to become proud or get a feeling of, we know it all, or we are brilliant, or what a wonderful nation we are. They were always to remember where they came from. They came from the wilderness. And uh, even today... Uh, Jews at the Feast of Tabernacles are invited for a full week to spend some time in one of these flimsy buildings just like the one in the foyer. They're not to be built in a very strong way. They're supposed to be have a roof that's not quite waterproof. You're supposed to be able to see three stars through it because you have to remember that God brought you from small things. You have to remember how weak you were and remember what God did for you. The one there, you'll not see three stars, but if you look carefully, you'll see three lights, very nicely positioned, which uh, stand for the stars, if you like. So it's a very good representative there. It's a flimsy building to say to people, God is with you. And today, uh, many Jews all over the world, they believe that they should spend some time in these, and others couldn't care less. So some very fervent and enthusiastic religious people decide to help. And what they do is, they build a little temporary uh, hut or sukkah onto the back of their bicycles or onto the back of their cars so that wherever you are if you're a Jew there's no escape you're supposed to go into one of these at some stage and if you haven't got a car well you can always do it by bicycle and so uh, all over the place people are invited to come some people will sleep in these temporary buildings, others will just share a meal there. Others will just come into one of these little ones to say a blessing and to pray for God's help for the future. Because it's a reminder that God not just saved Israel from Egypt, but brought them through that wilderness. Here's what the Bible says about that wilderness. He led you through the vast and, and dreadful desert that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. And there's still a few venomous snakes and scorpions around in Israel today. The only time I've ever seen a poisonous snake in the wild was in a rock face near Masada, where you climb up to the place where Herod had built his big fortress. And I did see a, a horned viper there. They're still out there. It's still dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. I, I met a man who had spent his life being brought up in the wilderness. And he said, as a young lad, they used to go out and they would lift stones to see if there was anything underneath. But he always said, you lifted the stone away from yourself because you never knew what was under there. These scorpions are very dangerous. And God helped them through that. Even more so, there was no water. And we'll talk about that later. And there was no food. 
And God supplied all that they needed and they were to remember the great things that he had done, how he had brought them through that wilderness. Because, you know, we are human. We can so easily forget the great things that God has done. We can so easily forget to simply say thank you. As children, we're always taught. You know, you remember the the first mummy and daddy would very quickly say, now you received that present, did you say thank you? But how often do we forget to say thank you to God? Uh, He had set them at liberty. He'd given them food to eat. He'd given them water to drink. He'd given them health and strength. They had a lot to say thank you about. And they were to remember that. You know, friends, sometimes we too can forget to say thank you. Uh, uh, Soon after I left school, I worked in the factory for a while. And uh, we had a prayer meeting on Tuesdays that we used to go to in an elderly lady's home called Mrs. Allen. It was just a hundred yards or so from the factory. And... uh, Mrs. Allen had really a, a very humble home. She, she didn't want anything. She just, there was just chairs there, a, a little tiny kitchen and a, and a sink, and that was it. And I never met anybody in my life who was so thankful. You know, people offered her other things. She said, I don't need them. I've got the Lord. And you know, I really like the running water, she said. And she used to thank God every time we were there that she had running water. And she said, what else does a person need? I've got God, and I've got running water, and I've got a roof over my head. And Mrs. Allen just thanked God every time she prayed. And you know, to me, as a young lad, it really spoke to me how this old lady, in my mind, she had nothing. And I had so much in comparison. But she was a lot more thankful than people who had an awful lot. And you know, if we uh, think about it, everything we have comes from God. Every good and every perfect gift, the Bible says, cometh down from above from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Praise the Lord. All we have and are comes from him. All that I am, he made me. All that I have, he gave me. And all that I can ever be, Jesus the Lord can do for me. And above all, Yes, we thank him for food and health and strength, friends and loved ones, but we need to thank God for Jesus because God sent his son to be our saviour. And that's the best news. That makes life different. When he came, he died on the cross. He changed history. He changed our destiny. He changed you and me if we put our faith in him. Ah, we ought to thank God for Jesus every moment of the day because without him we would have no meaning but we'll come to that a bit later on too so the the, the whole festival was to remember to give God thanks for the past it was also about rejoicing in the present and one of the stipulations of the feast was in Leviticus that uh, remember it was at harvest time this feast so they were thanking God for the harvest And they were to take on the first day, it lasted seven days, they were to take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and rejoice. 
Sometimes this feast is called tabernacles. Sometimes it's called the feast of rejoicing. Because, you see, it comes after all the solemn feasts like the Day of Atonement. And now they've been through all that and they have assurance, if they were keeping the festival properly, they have assurance of sins forgiven. They're in a relationship with God. And now's the time to rejoice and to have, uh, and to be glad and to really appreciate what great things God had done for them, to be happy about it. So it was a feast that they were to rejoice enthusiastically about. The way that it's kept today, they um, take branches and a large fruit. Uh, this fruit is called, do you know, I'm not, I, I, I forgot even to check how you pronounce it. It's spelled E-G-R-O-G. Egrog, I take it. It's, a, it's, it's like a very large lemon. And the rabbis, for no particularly good reason, believe that it was the fruit that Eve ate in the Garden of Eden. If you want to know the reason they give, talk to me afterwards and I'll tell you, but I'll not waste time on it now. But the, this egrog is, a, is very expensive to buy because people for the festival today, they want a really good one. So I tried to price one to see if I could get any out of season. The cheapest I could get was £60, so I'm afraid I don't have one. Uh, but but uh, they were to take the egrog and some willow branches. Um, the, the, uh, there was an egrog which looks a bit like a heart. So the people give different explanations of what it means. But some people say the egrog represents your heart. And then they had myrtle. That was a, a lovely flowering shrub. Uh, branches from the myrtle tree. And some people say that represents the eyes. And then they were to take branches of a willow, which some the, the, the leaf looks very much like lips. And finally they were to take the palm, which is straight and strong like the backbone. In other words, the, the, the egrog and these leaves represent the whole person. And uh, this were the four species. And what they were to do, and they still do today, now I have to make an apology. It wasn't very easy. Uh, I couldn't get you a palm branch or anything like that. So I went into the garden and I found a big fern and some clematis leaves and I stuck them all together just to demonstrate what they do. Uh, I hadn't realized that the car was sitting in the sun. So it doesn't really... <laughs> didn't really turn out the way it originally looked. But what they do is they take this and when they go into the little booth, they face east. Is that east there? And they go one, two, three, like that. And then they go right round and uh, presumably, where's north? If that's east, this is going to be north. They go one, two, three, and then they do one, two, three. One, two, three, like that. Enthusiastically, you see, because they're praising God for all the fruit and things that he's given them. And then, finally, they go one, two, three, up, middle, and down. And they're praising God from every point of the compass, saying, God has supplied all these great things for us. And they're to do it enthusiastically. They're to show that they are rejoicing with all their mind, their hearts, their being, they're putting everything into it to worship God because he's worthy of the best that we can bring. And that is still done to this very day. It's a, a 
you know, it's sad sometimes that in the Bible the Jews didn't always realize, didn't always remember to worship God with that sort of enthusiasm. And the book of Malachi describes how they were fed up with worship. God says, you are weary when you come to worship me. You're t- and to far paraphrase it, God says, you're so tired of your worship that I'm now tired of you. Because God expects his people to show a bit of enthusiasm. To show that they are really uh, praising him with all their hearts. And, and they're expecting a blessing, you see. They're praying and blessing him. And, exp- and we too, you know, I'm not suggesting for a moment that you start jumping up and down to show your enthusiasm. Uh, we don't all, we're not all like that. But inside our hearts, it would be very sad if we come to Almighty God and we come to worship Him and we don't give two thoughts about how great He really is. There needs to be, He is worthy of a little bit of enthusiasm, even if it's not jumping up and down, at least in our hearts. There should be joy in the God of our salvation when we think of what He has done for us. Boy, we should be bursting with joy. And it's easy to forget. And that's why we come Sunday by Sunday to remember him in his death. To remember that Jesus died and rose again. And to remember that this great King of Kings is here. It's something to get enthusiastic about. I'm sure a few of you were watching the television last night. Yeah? Did you, you, you saw the joy and the sorrow, the joy of those who saw their team winning. The boys, some of them were over the moon. You could see the joy of the, they, they were ecstatic. And you could see the sorrow of those who lost. And the, the, sometimes it makes me feel a little bit ashamed. Uh, you know, if, if, if they're so happy about a football team, and I think what God has done for me, I should be enthusiastic too. Just uh, expecting more from him. And enthusiastic for what he's already done. I remember when I was in the Bible college, there was some of the uh, staff used to bring children in, and uh, and uh, uh, I used to find some sweets for them from time to time, you know, or and sometimes we had little games, and just to let them know, make them feel part of it all. And uh, but one day I didn't notice, but two little girls had come in. One was maybe. I think six and the other was nine. And I heard a very gentle tap at the door. Not the usual tap, you know. Next door to me was Desi Maxwell. He usually came in, the door swung off its hinges. So I knew it wasn't him. But, you know, uh, or any of the other staff. So I wondered, who was this gentle tap? And I went and here was these two wee girls, rather nervous. And they said, we were, excuse us, we were just wondering, were you looking for us? Wasn't that great? You know, that just, uh, is that what we want to, that God, indeed, we want to come to him and say, Lord, you're here to bless us. Well, you're looking for us and expect a blessing. They came and they didn't go away disappointed. (laughs) You know, when we come expecting something from God with a bit of enthusiasm, we'll not go away disappointed either. He doesn't disappoint his people. So a bit of so God was expecting thanksgiving for the past. He was expecting rejoicing and enthusiasm in the present. 
And also, he was providing for them hope for the future. Now, this is where the festival was changed. When the temple was there, they had some special things that they did afterwards. And one of the ceremonies that was carried out when the temple was in existence in Jerusalem was called the water ceremony. And every day of the Feast of Tabernacles, a priest, first of all, you would get that shrill sound of the trumpet in the morning, getting everybody ready, the festival, the, the day's about to start, you had the ram's horn sounding, and then a priest would take a gold container, and he would walk from the temple some uh, 500, 600 yards, he would walk to the Pool of Siloam which was fed with living water from the Gihon Spring. That spring fed Jerusalem with water. It was the only source of water they had. And so they would take the water in a golden bowl and he would carry it to the temple. In the meantime, there would be a great procession. People travelling along with their lulav, with their branches, waving them about and singing and praising God and sounds of trumpets and flutes would follow as the priest went to the temple in a grand procession and everybody full of excitement would watch as he went to the altar and poured the water into a vessel to thank God for providing that essential supply of water and to pray that he would provide them rain for the rest of the year. And so the water ceremony was done every day until the last day of the feast And then you did it seven times. And so it was that on the very last day, that's why our reading said that on the last day of the feast, that Jesus stood up and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And uh, he was doing this at a time that was entirely appropriate. The last day of the feast was all about water. Seven times the water would be poured out in the temple. And uh, seven times the people would be praying, Lord, send us rain for the incoming year. And then Jesus said, if anyone's really thirsty, if all this running water makes you thirsty, I can give you the water of life. And the water in the Jewish thinking, uh, as it was poured out, represented the rain, but it also represented God's Holy Spirit. And so Jesus used it in that way to say, you need this normal water from the pool of Siloam, you need that for life. We need that to water our crops. We need water. But if you want to live forever, <laughs> the water that you need is the, is, is the spiritual life of the Spirit that I can give you. And so he was promising, as they thought of life provided by the refreshing showers of rain, he promised them life through himself, through his own sacrifice. Jesus said, I've come to give you eternal life. Some people think that means life forever. And actually it does, of course. But he didn't say, I'll give it to you in the future. He says, I give you now. And this idea of spiritual water that you, uh, because we are born in sin. And when we come to Jesus, 
He is the only one who can provide us with life as God intended it to be. Oh, we're not there yet, but eternal life is a new quality of life that starts here and now. What do I mean a new quality of life? Well, when you come to Jesus and you know him as Savior and he takes away your sins, you're born again. You're a new creation. You're starting over again. And now you are different because when we're born, people who are born into this world, you know, right from the start, we are sinners. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are heading for disaster, for the judgment of the living God because God will not allow sin into his heaven and as the righteous judge, he must judge sin. And that's the way we're born. So how do we become righteous in God's sight? How do we get our sins forgiven? We can't. Not in our own strength, not in ourselves. We have no way of making God forgive us. We simply have to depend on Jesus. Just as that water being poured out spoke of physical life, so he poured out his life on the cross of Calvary, and that paid the price for the forgiveness of sins. So that when I come to him and put my faith in him, I get his righteousness. He got what we deserved. The punishment of sin. So that we could get what he deserved. Everlasting life that begins right here and now. That this life no longer is just going round and round. And certainly, you know, life is quite meaningless to people who don't know God. They just are born and then they die. You know, uh, wasn't it George Bernard Shaw who said, um, the statistics regarding death are quite convincing. You know, uh, we know that's coming. But if we don't know God, it's a disaster. If we do know God, well, we're just moving on to the next stage where we'll live with him forevermore. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good to be saved? It's good to have Jesus to turn to to forgive our sins. And, um, and you know, So in a sense, that's how we apply it to those who don't believe. But for those who believe, we have God's uh, river of life flowing through us. Has anybody ever felt recently a bit tired? I was talking to somebody and I was saying, how are you doing? And he says, I've got tat. And I said, what's tat? He says, tired all the time. Uh, You know, sometimes we feel that physically. But sometimes we feel it spiritually as well. Sometimes life is hard going. But we don't have, you know, I'm sure there are some uh, medical people here who will be able to give you some remedies for physical tiredness. But Jesus gives you a remedy for spiritual tiredness because Paul was able to say, I toil, struggling with all his energy. (laughs) I like that, you know. That when we come to Jesus, uh, just... The lives that we live, 
where we go, the people we meet, we're taking Jesus with us. The way we approach life, the way we approach difficulties, others see Jesus in us. And it's not our energy, it's his energy, because his spirit. I think it's such a blessing to know that God is not just the God away up there, but God is here in the present church tonight, and he lives in the heart of every believer. And when we're in trouble, we have someone to turn to, who's the wise counselor, who'll guide us until Jesus comes or calls, and then we'll be with him throughout all eternity. And so uh, this water ceremony spoke of new energy, new life. But there was something else. Every evening in the time of Jesus, in the court of the women, that, that, that was the big court outside the temple, something very special happened every evening. There were four great big lights that were way up high and it needed ladders to reach them. And young lads would go up and they would have gallons of oil and they would light those four big lights during tabernacles. And they say that you could see Jerusalem for miles around because those lights shone out and were a brilliant illumination of the temple area. And you could see it all through Jerusalem, I'm told. And it was when those lights were lit that at the same festival, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Not a lamp like those four, but the source of light. Because in a sense, when we're born in this world and as we live without knowing God, we are in a sense walking in the darkness. (coughs) Why are people in our world today in, in such a confusion because they're in the darkness. Why do people not understand what's happening because they're in the darkness? Jesus came to bring light. In a sense, he is the only source of true light who can bring people out of the darkness of sin so that we can now see where we're going. We're going home. We're going to be with him. We're not walking in the darkness anymore. Walking in the darkness is a terrifying thing. I was brought up as a young lad in a town, and outside our house there were big street lights, and you were never in the darkness. But when I was 15, we moved out into the country. And I um, attended a little mission hall, which was about a mile from the house, and I hadn't realized it, but when I got out, it was pitch black. I knew that if I followed the hedge, I could find my way home. But I was really terrified because I hadn't thought of taking a torch. I'd never, I held up my finger. I couldn't see it. It was just totally black. And then I realized that there was somebody along with me. I could hear breathing. I tell you, to be in the dark, it was, I still, you know, I still feel a tingle in the back of my neck. And I said, who's there? Nobody answered. So I started to run, but whatever it was, ran too. I stopped, they stopped. Oh, I prayed like I'd never prayed before. And uh, it was a very quiet road, but eventually, after about five minutes of this torture, I could see lights in the distance, and I really thanked God. I'm going to see who this is that's teasing me. And when the lights of a car opened up and shed light on the road, there was nobody there. But... On the other side of the hedge was a big black cow. 
who seemed to be having some sort of a game with me. And only he knew the rules. Being in the dark, you know, being in the dark, you, you can't, you're, you, you feel so totally helpless. But when we put our faith in Jesus, we're not helpless anymore. We're following the light, the light of the world, the one who came to show the world the way to God. Those great lights of Jerusalem did a great job. But they showed you the way to Jerusalem. Jesus said, you can see these lights for miles, but I am the light of the world. He had come to dispel the darkness of sin. He defeated darkness. He destroyed its power and brought light and life to those who put their faith in him. So let me just finish by summarizing our thoughts. These festivals and especially the Feast of Tabernacles, but in a sense all of the festivals, their their purpose was to help us to uh, remember and give thanks for the past, for the great things that God has done. They were to help us to rejoice in the present and they were to point us to Jesus for the future, pointing us forward to the Messiah, to the light of the world. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the privilege of knowing him, of knowing the light of the world. Hallelujah. Lord, thank you so much for what you've done for us. Help us always to be filled with joy when we think of so great salvation. And as we leave tonight, may your blessing uh, fill us with the joy of Jesus, knowing peace and light and eternal life through him. Amen.